You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Uh, let's start. I'll key you in. Alright, we're good. Alrighty, guys. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This one, kind of interesting and timely. So, obviously, we have pre-releases returning. This is, however, the first pre-release uh, since the OP announcement. Yes. So, we're going to dive into how does this change things? Does this change logistics? Our plans how has the lgs roadmap for the year kind of changed knowing that all of a sudden there is this pie in the sky you know pantheon to shoot for with organized play how does that affect our grassroots events top to bottom yep and this is something that kind of came to us kind of quickly too because last week we talked about the op announcement from a vendor perspective and what that means for somebody <clears throat> who's actually able to utilize a large buy list and move cards you know, nationally, internationally, what have you, and from the LGS perspective, what it means in that regards too, when you can start to tailor your FNMs, your midweek events, your weekend events to the upcoming formats. But this is, in my mind, some of the bread and butter of the LGS because you can expect it as a player. This is where, like we've talked about, a lot of the invisibles come out, the people you see once a quarter come out for these events so we thought you know why don't we touch on that especially with the op announcement which means that some of the other events we'll touch on this later on that lgs used to run no longer exist so yeah. first and foremost what are the logistics like for a pre-release so this this is also kind of unique because we haven't always had you know it's been a minute uh since we had the like curated pre-cons mm -hmm. where here with Capenna you have your shard that's your list you know kind of like the old Ravnica ones where you have here's your pack of cards that are your guild yes yeah and it goes from there so the logistics there are one of the most fascinating parts because what typically happens and this is you know LGS is in the area from the smallest 20 person to the largest 100 person stores They'll run one event every day. The first day, everyone gets the deck they want. They don't have anything to worry about. Mm -hmm. The second day, you kind of start having people make a list, you know, a priority list. These are, you know, what I want in order of priority. Yeah. And you try to get as many of those as you can. And generally, you do a pretty good job. Everyone ends up with their first or second choice. And then by Sunday, you're like, well, guys, these are the kits we have. Have fun. Yes. And that's one of the most interesting things is, you know, also on top of that, depending on your store. So my store, for example, we run Pokemon on Saturdays as well. Uh, Friday nights, we have 20 to 30 people for Digimon, Pokemon, and Yu-Gi-Oh! on top of our magic crowd. So logistically now it becomes this, well, where do we fit everyone? Mm -hmm. Do we bring in extra tables? Do we bring in extra chairs? And that wasn't really a concern before. You just did it. Now, though, we're still kind of on our way out of the pandemic. So it's like, all right, do we do three pairs per table? Do we go to four pairs? How do we want to space that out? Mm -hmm. 
And logistically, one of the biggest things with this that every store experiences is your allocation. And what I mean by that is not just your pre-release kits. It's how much of your pre-release product do you want to pick up? Because you do get an amount of draft boosters, you know, the decks, whatever. Uh, and do you want to leave some of that for the following week when you can actually sell it? And mm -hmm. the interesting thing is, all right, we have X amount of people that usually show up for our pre-release. Yep. Well, we need to determine our allocation based on the attendance at these events. So if we want to increase our allocation for Commander Legends 2, do we want to then buy extra kits knowing we may not sell them all at the pre-release, but we can maybe sell them in store to just give us access to more product later on down the line? Yeah. And that's been one of, as we've gotten out of, you know, back to normalcy, that's been one of the most pressing things that every LGS I've talked to has struggled with is, you know, do we know what our in-store events are going to look like? Do we know what our revenue streams look like now that the TCG economy is all over the place? Uh, unrelated, Flesh and Blood just renounced they're doing unlimited runs. There's no more first editions. So if my store was relying on Flesh and Blood for income, do I now go back to Magic? Do I try to ride this train? Mm -hmm. And then not only that, you also have the added logistics of your employees. Uh, typically, once you hit the mid-size, like 40, 50-person pre-release, most stores start staffing an extra person for pre-release weekends. If you're just 10 to 20, you know, fine. It's it's a little extra stress for one to two people that are there anyways. Yep. But it's not enough that it's disruptive to everyone's experience. Okay. And so the you know TLDR of this is your staffing, your allocation, mm -hmm. and how you're distributing curated lists are the really big like logistical nightmares that you have to deal with for pre-releases yeah. now. One of the things that I've seen and experienced as a judge when it comes to allocation is now that a lot of stores, it seemed like as the restrictions were kind of list, uh, lifting regarding masks and prepping for in-person pre-releases, they were working out those allocation numbers and saying, okay, we can pay you on the spot with pre-release kits i.e. at the end of the weekend, when we're done running all of our events, we can pay all our judges out in pre-release kits, or you can wait an additional week for all of our the rest of our boxes to come in, and you can pick them up then. And then if you take the pre-release kits, it's still the same number of packs, you just get the rares on top of it. And yeah. for somebody like me that doesn't really care that much, the pre-release kits are better because I know stores sometimes do struggle selling those curated kits because they cost more to yeah. the, the, the individual than just the six packs after tax up here. So uh, that is definitely something uh, I've experienced uh, from the judge side of things. One question I have is I've never experienced ordering for a pre-release, ordering product for a pre-release, especially when it comes to these kits, because again, to your point, it's been a minute since we've seen this. My wife and I were actually talking about it last week. She, told, she was curious when the last time we've done these kind of kits were and I said it was sometime in the Ravnica block but the last time I truly remember it was in cons yeah. block where you yeah. picked your wedge similarly and you just kind of rocked your dragon you know you curated a list of rares etc so when it comes to something like this do they just you know peanut butter your order or, you know you need you know 300 pre-release kits or whatever it is so 300 to 5 is 60 of each yeah so basically it's the way it's kitted out is each brick is 50 or, and it's 10 of each. 
Okay. So that's what you get. That's how it goes. Uh, you know, logistically, something that is unique for this pre-release is this is the first one where we don't have the arena pre-release at the same time. Yeah. So you may get extra traffic from that, which is something else to factor in specific to the new Capenna pre-release. Okay. But yeah, when, when you're ordering them, it's basically, you know, you order your kits in increments of five. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if there's four or three or whatever the case is based on the set. Uh, if there are curated, you order in increments of one of each unique curated list. So I, I believe it. it's either 25 or 50 per box. Uh, for the five-way mm-hmm. kits. Okay. So it'll be, you know, five, five, five on down. That's what I figured. I just wanted to make sure, because like I said, I've never really had the opportunity to run that kind of yeah. uh, <clears throat> order. So we mentioned up top, New Capetta is the first pre-release post-OP announcement. And now these two were really tight. You know, OP yeah. was seemingly two weeks ago. New Capenna release people have been preparing for since the set was announced like a year-ish ago. So with this one coming up immediately, did this actually kind of pop up on the roadmap for you as somebody that works as an LGS? Is this is the first pre-release back in paper we need to go all out? Or was it the opposite of like, this is just a little too soon for us to be where we really want to. We'll get the next one. So I know a couple of shops locally did treat it as, hey, this is pretty close. There's a lot of random working parts on this one that we haven't had to deal with before. The arena issue, pandemic, curated lists, whatever, that we're going to try to take a break. For us, it was kind of like, all right, let's see. This is kind of like a trial run. Mm -hmm. Let's get our best staff in place. Let's put them where they are to succeed and see how well we can run an event like this Mm -hmm. while also running our normal Friday night events. Because if we can get away with that, we can probably do fine with a, you know, regional qualifier Mm -hmm. and not have to deal with it. Oh, okay. So on this one, it kind of verify or sorry, varies store by store. Yes. Yeah. But I think more than anything, it's, you know, for us, we looked at it as like, all right, this is something we can do to kind of like set the bar for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Where is our staff at with this stuff? Because, we haven't had PPTQs in years. And in a lot of cases, the people that used to help with those events have moved out of the industry. They've moved on to other things. And you've got your staff that's in place now, and you've just got to make the best and see what you've got. And, I mean, you've been on the judge side of it. You know just as well as anyone. You never know what you have until you throw it in the fire and see what comes out. Mm-hmm. It, it's not an industry where you learn on paper. You have to learn by doing it. Yes. Yeah. So for us, it was very much like, this is our roadmap. This is our blueprint. If we're expecting, you know, 200 people in the building and they're not all on one event, similar to a smaller GP, mm-hmm. you know, where you have side events going, stuff like that, or the old regional uh, pre-releases, can our staff manage all that well enough that we can confidently say, yeah, we can host one of these events and it'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. The, the way I kind of imagined this was that there would be kind of three levels to it there'd be level one which is a store that has not had to do a paper pre-release in two plus years and is not capable of actually supporting a paper pre-release right now so they'll push it off to the next one or continue doing what they had been doing for midnight hunt which might have been smaller pre-releases based on the amount of people that you could have in a given space per their area then there was level two, which is the stores that basically had a blueprint in place, like you mentioned, of like the my LGS. 
for every pre-release since Dragon's Maze, not Tarkir, Dragon's Maze, the same pricing structure has been used because they're always round capped at four. So, yep. and they printed out that, so you know, with your record of uh, two, one and two or better, what you're going to receive. So it's just that a judge comes in, they handle handing out the products, any announcements, post the stuff, pairings, boom, Bob's your uncle. Then level three would be the stores that want to see this. And this is something I want to talk about later. And you mentioned it up front. Stores that want to take the opportunity with the removal of PPTQs and RPTQs and GPTs make these the event. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure where you thought a lot of people, where either you guys would sit or where a lot of people might sit. And I think there's a lot of stores that are going to sit between two and three. Two I think a lot of people are sure. yeah, prepared to have a paper pre-release and have their kits in place, but they don't know what they're quite capable of. For some of them might not be forward thinking enough. Like you, like you said, we're just, we're going to just try and make sure that this runs smoothly alongside everything else that we're already doing to make sure that when we have the opportunity to host the first RPTQ, we've got everything in the bag. There's no concern. We can just run it. So it's good to hear that that's kind of where it really seems a lot of people are. Yeah, it is. So uh, the next set is Dominaria United in July. Would that be your next real target for a larger, like, Ballyhoo-style pre-release because you might have enough time to get everything lined up you would have to? So I, for a lot of stores, I think that is. Um, the reason it's not for us specifically is I'm actually running a pauper win a duel next month for the store. Mm. Uh, it's it's not a windscard crag; it's a plateau. But uh, this this is kind of like you know these are draw events. Pre releases bring new players. Mm -hmm. They bring people to your store where you have an opportunity to give a first impression. Larger stuff like a win a duel or something like that. Honestly, yeah, that stuff's great, but for the most part, those are entrenched players that are showing up for that. So your pre-release is kind of unique and is more similar, I think, to one of the regional qualifiers because those are also the opportunity for you to make a first impression. So for us, we look at it as two different events because you can run larger comp rel events that just draw from like an hour away. Yep. Uh, that's not like the old PTQ system used to be, where it would queue you for your regional onward. Uh, where you would draw from three, four hours in some cases, and these people may never know your store outside of that event. Uh, and I think for that reason, a lot of stores may be looking at Dominaria as, all right, here's our next event. Yep. If there's problems here in the new Capenna event, we'll use Dominaria to iron them out. Because by the time that comes, okay, the next qualifiers we can do are for the event after DreamHack. They'll be for the next season. Yeah. At that point, they'll hopefully have figured out more about what's going on with organized play. We'll have more of an idea of what we can do. Stuff like that that just makes it very easy for people to come in and say, okay, well, here's what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And it just makes it a lot easier. Sure, sure, sure. So when it comes to... you know. You've got events scheduled already. You know the the window duel thing takes a little bit of logistics to get set up. You have these long living series, uh, if you want to call them that. You know, 
you know, F and M's in a set in a, a set format, a midweek popper or whatever at a start rate. Right? Those are just yeah. kind of long living series. With the announcement of return to OP that comes up uh, for Nuka Pena, did you guys have enough lead time to get everything you think you need to actually run the kind of pre-release you would want to? So we did, but we've also been running them as large as possible since we've been able to. Okay. Uh, I know some of the other local stores, uh, one of which I work with pretty closely, basically, you know, they're like, hey, we got a decent amount of lead time. We did scale up our allocation a bit. We're not sure what we're going to do with staffing yet. We're going to play this one by ear with our normal price structure, our normal staffing structure, just to make sure this is okay you know that all right we can do this Mm -hmm. and that's i think what you're going to see a lot of people do is they're going to say hey look this is you know a thing we're trying we'll see where it goes it may be great it may be terrible but we'll figure it out yeah okay and i think that's going to be the more common thing that you'll see all right and the last question i have before we switch up before we switch gears to discuss what this means to stores in regards to the current op ecosystem is in regards to pre-releases in particular let's look back because that's easier instead of forward what part of the event on the whole would you say is kind of like the money maker for a pre-release would it be like the event itself the the upfront cost where the margins are pretty thin overall the bringing people in store to just move product buy and sell singles sealed product yeah so i think one of the biggest things is um you know basically for us being you know and i think a lot of stores being as one of these is okay uh we have people coming in we kind of use it as advertising Mm -hmm we're content with breaking even we don't need to buy a bunch of stuff we don't need to sell a bunch of stuff we're just here trying to use this to advertise we see it as a long term we're making money on this by this getting people in the door with the understanding that they will be here in the future okay they will come in in the future and they will say hey i had a good time at this store you know what i'm going to check out their weekly events I like modern. Let's see what their modern's like. And just doing stuff like that. And that is where we're taking it. Mm-hmm. And my understanding for most stores in the area is that's kind of how they treat it. Their money maker is your supplies. Mm-hmm. You know, you're selling sleeves, you're selling snacks, you're doing stuff like that. That, yeah, sure, that's all important. But the point of the event is less about selling those and more about getting people exposed to the store more about incentivizing them to come back mm-hmm. than anything else okay good was, i don't want to call it a trick question because there was no trick there but i think that might just be a misconception about pre-release style events on the whole where it's just stores want to try and make as much profit as possible during these events because there are so many bodies in there but that is the incorrect view of these events they are yeah. marketing for the stores and any sales of product that happen during that time box period are purely incidental and just gravy. Yep, absolutely. There, there is nothing there, like 
most stores that I know, events are advertising. That's all they ever are. Yep. Yeah. They're they're a break-even proposition, and you're fine with that. Because if you're lucky, you sell some supplies. And in selling supplies, eh, I guess we made five bucks on this event. Cool. Yeah. Or now, because there's the, the street date for sealed product is no longer release weekend, it is pre-release yeah. weekend, maybe a handful of boxes incidentally. Yeah. The, the LGS that I go to, they always tried to have several large pre-releases at an external location, and they would basically bring nothing but supplies and maybe two cases per day. Sure. Yeah. And if they sold it all, cool. If they didn't, also cool. It would just churn yeah. in the next week. But like I said, that was it wasn't quite a, a gotcha question, but I think a misconception. Yeah. So the, the next couple of questions that I want to go over are solely about what I said we were talking about later up at the top of the cast. Right now, with this OP announcement, there is effectively at most two Comparel events an LGS can run per quarter if they are WPN premium. It's one otherwise. And that's basically a lot of what this cycles around is the scaling down of op at the store level there have been a lot of generations of op at the store level that we've experienced there have been uh, ptqs then pptqs rptqs gpts and eventually the scaling back of regional pre-releases several hundred person pre-releases to store-based pre-releases which was better overall instead of one store running a massive pre-release everybody got one choice a plus right but this is all kind of scaling back and just saying to stores like hey cool uh regular rail is for you guys comp rail is for you know uh mother mother knows best right watsy yeah exactly yeah so mother watsy knows yeah so with the official return of op but the removal of all comp rail in-store events outside of again the once or twice a quarter regional qualifiers how do you think these events fit into your roadmap as a store? So I think this is kind of interesting uh, because this this is something that I see varies region by region, by which I don't mean like, con, you know, CONUS, South America, Brazil, where all these regional qualifiers are. I mean specifically like regions of the country. Mm-hmm. So St. Louis, for example, we have, I think it's, we had a few clothes over COVID. We're down to like 20. 29 stores within a 30 minute radius it's insane so for us it's kind of been like okay we want to try to work with other stores because we want to promote because there's so many stores we want to try to work together to not hold events the same weekend to cannibalize stuff Mm -hmm. so in like the last couple weeks uh, there's a couple groups that are like the store managers, store owners and stuff yeah, that yeah. just talk to each other. I've seen a lot more dialogue of, hey, when are you guys going to run these? When are you going to have this event? When are you, you know, what weeks are you thinking? We're thinking this time. And there's actually been a really good dialogue uh, around all of that because some people have been around long enough to remember like 10 years ago when we had a very competitive grinding community in St. Louis that went to GPTs, they went to PTQs, they would travel six hours for this stuff. So we all worked together to try to provide events locally that they might not have to drive to. So for us, 
these events are kind of fitting into our roadmap around pre-releases to tie it all back because those are the only set in stone events that stores have with magic anymore mm-hmm. is just pre-releases you don't really have any more your monthly 1ks your quarterly 5ks stuff like that that you used to have stores run we just haven't gotten back there yet so for now it's like okay what's kind of a slump month for us where we may have like a pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh release but there's nothing else really mm-hmm. you know what because magic pre-release you just can't run a ptq that weekend obviously but if it's a pokemon pre-release can we work a qualifier in there mm-hmm. can we run one of those on a saturday when pokemon's done by three and just start a little bit later and it's kind of been like all right this is if we want to become like this hub for competitive stores we want to put an emphasis on this and that's kind of where we're leaning with scheduling and everything okay so it's it's becoming a little bit more important just because we're one of the few stores with the space Mm -hmm. because a lot of the stores can only host you know at most 50 people we can hold up to 200 which makes it drastically different on what we can and can't schedule so that's kind of where it's looking for us and then in some of the other areas like there's some shops that I work with down in southern Missouri where there's no other store for two hours they're just like eh, let's do it in the summer when people aren't at college and they're back in town and just go from there and we'll see who shows up and those events I think are going to be absolutely insane if you have singles available so do you think those events overshadow the idea of a pre-release is kind of a flagship event for an LGS regardless of size because the way I was thinking about it was kind of like an area up here or even um, not a smaller state in terms of number of stores but just a smaller state altogether where you might have disparate pockets of people running enough uh, uh, RPTQs whatever they are uh, RQs on a weekend or across a quarter that you're going to have some overlap. So you want to stand out, you make your flagship event your pre-release. So I think what we'll see from everything I've heard and from what we're doing is our flagships will still be the pre-releases. Because comparing the regional qualifier to a Mm pre-release well those appeal to two different audiences right and what's something you and i have screamed into the clouds on this podcast casuals drive the market well the qualifiers certainly don't appeal to the casuals or but they do appeal to the spikes Mm -hmm. but pre-releases everyone loves it it's casuals spikes love pre-releases Johnny's, Timmy's, Casuals, The Invisibles, everybody loves pre-releases. So I think you may see some stores try to go towards making the regional qualifier their flagship. I think that's a mistake personally. Okay. Because I think those pre-releases are where you're going to make your money long-term. Those people coming in for a regional, they're not going to spend more than a couple dollars on sideboard cards they need. They're, a, they're in and out. Yeah, they're, they they're don't come back. essentially the magic equivalent of a transient or a vagrant. They are just 
at whatever store is currently hosting the event that qualifies them for the next level of competitive play. And if you've never been on that grind before, that's the majority of people that used to show up to PTQs in the old system where they were 8 to 10 hour events with a cut to top 8 to GPTs when the only way to get a buy for a Grand Prix was like a 2000 or 2100 rating. Yeah. And it was interesting at those events because the people you recognized at those weren't the stores. You didn't say, oh, we'll go to this store because it had a good event last time. You just went to the store because it had an event. The people you recognized at those events were the other grinders. Yeah. You weren't there for the store. You were there for the grind. And that's why I think the smart decision is to continue to have pre-releases as your flagship and to make regionals like an emphasis event for sure Mm -hmm. but not something you want to make your brand on okay that basically answers the last question that i had so that that that, you know buttons this up nicely and the thought there was just with so many guaranteed pre-releases in a year just looking from a standard set perspective because all the supplementals are really odd all things considered well some of them are weird pod draft like we have commander legends coming up in the previous one if that setup holds true then it's kind of like conspiracy we were drafting a smaller pod but it's like a supreme draft so you're drafting two cards at once right it just kind of mucks everything up so you can plan your year around these events like you mentioned they can be your flagship because they're going to make you money long term and with the ability to really only hold one or maybe two regional qualifiers in a given quarter it makes sense to kind of push all in on the event that's going to give you the most returns long term yeah to just sum up that last point and that's really what i expected to kind of hear and i think a lot of this is stuff that just people don't really think about or don't consider because they're not lgs owners right like why why would you put so much so much focus on an event why would you want to essentially bundle up and you know, create a quote-unquote franchise model for as much of an event as you can because it works, you can improve on it, you can iterate, you can put on the best possible event for your store, for your employees, for your players, you know, in your town, in your area, etc., and make these long-term relationships and see long-term gains on these. So, you know, that's it for me with all my questions. If there's anything you want to talk, uh, toss on before we head into picks, I think I'm all set. No, I think uh, the only thing I would have wanted was the one I tacked on at the end there with, like, now we have to take into account Arena mm-hmm. when we're doing these things because who knows? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely a wrinkle. Everybody thought Arena would clobber the physical pre-release, and that necessarily wasn't the case. You know, by hook or by crook, sometimes it wasn't even playable. So on yeah. pre-release weekend, so it didn't really matter. Now, to move over to picks, I believe I went first this week, so you can go first this week. Yes. So mine is kind of interesting. So we haven't, in a long time, had to deal with event buy lists because we haven't had events. Mm-hmm. So my pick this week is normal, plain old Ren and Six. Why? Well, because it's on 95's buy list, hot list, for $80 at events right now. So if you are able to travel to an event, if it's something you plan on doing, 
it's time to start paying attention when all of these events happen and you see on Twitter, here's this hot list, here's this hot list, here's this hot list, buy list, buy list, buy list, and you see all this stuff, we need to start paying attention to that again. Yep. Because international vendors are coming in. Galactus, one of the Italian companies, was at TCGCon Louisville. Uh, we have a couple of vendors in the States that are low-key holding inventory for some of the other European or Asian vendors that are doing it under a different banner. Uh, and their hot lists reflect that. And additionally, Renin 6 in particular is an interesting one because it's been on a bit of a downtrend and it's the Double Masters box art. So if that's the case, we can assume we're going to see a plummet from this card before too long. Yeah. Case, well, we may want to get rid of it sooner than later. You might want to shove, because yeah. if it's going to go down, it's going to go down hard. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an easy pickup in a lot of trade binders. People still have it. We saw a little bit of a drop with the list, but not much because that was a small printing. What do you think is going to happen to it when we get a double Masters printing, which hopefully we don't have the VIP pack nightmare again that makes foils worth less than the non-foils because they're more scarce or... Uh... Oh, yeah, that was the UPC issue where... Yeah. Because WotC technically lied... Uh, uh, it was difficult to tell if the verbiage they used to describe the packs was a lie or the contents were a lie yeah. when you compare them together. You could essentially dumpster dive for... UPC codes to mail to yeah. Watsy to redeem for packs, and that's why there was a flood to market. Yeah. yeah. I was just curious to see who the heck is currently playing Ren and Six right now, and it's basically just five, four color blank, so Urion blank, and maybe Jund and uh, Indomitable yeah, Creativity. Yeah, occasional Jund list. Yeah. Yep. So it, that's it. Yep, it was definitely popular. It seems to have tapered off a little bit. So yeah, if you're not on this card and or you didn't buy in, you know, at release dollars, which was like twenty some, now is the perfect yeah. time to shove and possibly re up. Or you just want to make some money off of an earlier purchase, shove and rebuy. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also even if you're trading out like fetch lands and stuff like that for it, or you know, just shocks, fast lands pathways which are spiking because pioneer is back mm -hmm. great this is the solid buy list option if you're traveling to an event yeah. or have an event coming up especially uh i don't know if it's been announced yet or not but it has been circulated the first weekend in june is the very first command fest in richmond virginia yep. hosted by star, star city. city games which will have all of those same vendors Wait. so now we have the scg cons we're starting to get command fests we're starting to get more and more events that are coming back. So this was kind of a pick that like, hey, here's a friendly reminder. We haven't had to pay attention to this in years. Yep. Let's start paying attention to it again. Yep, exactly. I think it's a really good look overall and definitely something to to pay attention to in the future. And I'm, I'm sure it's something we'll, we'll cover as more of these events pop up, especially as we get closer towards actual regional qualifiers or regionals themselves. We're going to start seeing a lot more vendor buy lists just kind of pop yep. up as people start returning events for me the the card i'm looking at this week is a, a, a little bit of a constructed staple in a handful of decks the, otherwise it has edh playability and some secret text, text that not a lot of people i think realize and that is a uh, good old nettle cyst ah i love this card 
great. Yeah, Nettle Cyst, the perennial rope on MTG stocks, is another one of those cards that is secretly moving on the back end, <clears throat> which is exactly what I want. When I started paying attention to this back in March, so like literally a month ago, CK was buying 295 for $1.30. They're now buying 236 for $2.80. Ooh. Yeah. That's a double up. That is, take that. That is a healthy, healthy double up. On TCG Player, the open marketplace, there was 174 for $2.80. Now there are a hundred there are two hundred for a dollar sixty-two. So the open market price is going down, and that's why we're really looking at this card today. There is an immediate arbitrage opportunity. So if we take a look at Nettlesyst itself as an EDH card, well, what does it really do in the format? And it's highly playable in any artifact or equipment deck, and the secret text on it is, is that it also counts enchantments. So it definitely works for those strategies, though it's not a clear best option. So this is clearly not foundational, but it's no slouch either, and it scales incredibly well throughout the game. So looking across the format, when we take a look at EDH Rec, where are you? There's Rec. And we take a look at Nettle Cyst. You know, what are we really looking at when it comes to Nettle Cyst? We see a heavily themed uh, equipment deck, basically from top to bottom, built around a core of mid and lower tier options, which means this leans a bit casual and a bit more budget, thus casting a wide net. So our target audience, that's what we like to see. Just a broad appeal. Though this is being paired with some of the most aggressive and ubiquitous equipment themed commanders. So it does also give a little bit of appeal to those looking to be competitive as they source their equipment suite and see this in those kind of aggressive lists. But underneath that, there is an Enchantress theme starting to shine through, which is another thing I really like. So this card is starting to see broader strategy appeal than what is than what it was initially pigeonholed into. And I generally think people overlook that this gives bonuses based on not just your artifacts, but enchantments as well, and it's just a matter of time before it starts to slot in there. So you look at generals like Toski, that can, you know, no pun intended, generally be a heavy enchantress style deck, uh, aggressively slanted. A lot of the green-white builds around Sithix or whatever the uh, Selesnia Modern Horizons 2 rare is can be slanted pretty aggressively. And so I believe we're going to see it there because it just buffs the team pretty easily. Outside of Commander, it's also a quote-unquote staple in formats like Modern showing up in Vintage and similarly themed heavy artifact-based builds. So we're not really talking about affinity like we knew it, but weird, broader artifact-style strategies like uh, it's called... Eight not eight cast and legacy, but there's kind of a version of it in modern that plays thought cast and thought monitor. Yeah, and that's kind of where this really has a home there. So it, uh, the ability to double dip on this is something that I really like. Overall, when we're looking at a timeline, as with all Modern Horizons two cards, I believe the end of the cheap staple is coming to an end sooner rather than later. And for Nettlesis, I think we're looking at about six months with a big caveat. So we're moving away from heavy enchantment themes in regards to new decks being built on EDH rec, but we might see a resurgence of artifact themes with Dominaria and or the Brothers War coming up in the next six months. 
But what really interests me and the big caveat that could either shrink or extend our timeline would be format announcements for OP for the for after the first Pro Tour of 2023. We know the first Pro Tour is Pioneer, a format that doesn't currently support Nettlesyst, but if or and when we find out when the modern OP events are really going to start, that's when I expect to see a larger run on this card. So the shrink is we find out sooner, the draw out is it just takes forever to find out or the modern events are put in late 2023 or maybe even 2024. Yeah. And uh, as of writing this, it was possible to arbitrage this card from TCG to CK, but it was cents on the dollar. The credit bump, however, was a bit more savory. As far as reprint equity is concerned, living weapons have seemingly have seemingly notoriously low reprint equity and are mainly saved yeah. for thematic commander decks and master set. And I'm not even kidding about that. I think Batter Skull and Mortar Pod might be the only two living weapons printed in a master set. Everything else, like Stratoscythe, has yeah. been in a commander set. That you, yeah. There's not a lot of living weapons, but when they're reprinted, that's where they live. So again, I think yeah. we're really low on the reprint equity. By quantity, I've got several play sets from pre-release where I thought this card would just take off. So I did get hosed on that a little bit. And I definitely pick up another play set or two, maxing out around 20 copies total anymore. And I worry that after I move enough to make a profit, I might end up sitting on too many for too long to make the gains that I'm really looking for. So again, I think 20 is right where I want to be with this because that affords me the ability to trade out some to commander players and more to construct and modern players, and then buy list the rest to either break even from my initial investment or make profits immediately. Yeah, I think the, the really key thing touching on reprint equity, equity is we also haven't had outside of Batter Skull before My Horizons 2, there weren't heavily playable living weapons. Nope. So if you're, we're using Batter Skull as the reprint blueprint, it was how many years before it got printed again? Modern Horizons 2, I think. Uh, or it was Double Masters, wasn't it? GP promo? Oh yeah, GP promo. Yeah, fair. Uh, so I think that's a pretty good indicator that we're pretty low on reprint equity here. And for me, I see it more as like you were touching on, it's more of a chance that this spikes. Like, because, oh, we have all of these events now. All of these opportunities where we have artifacts matter by set, by theme, yep. by, you know, whatever the case may be. You're right, by and the I way. And I think that... Okay. Uma. Yep. Uh, I think that, to me, speaks more of, like, there's almost no reprint, reprint equity in this at all, mm -hmm. which is great for what we're trying to do here, I think. So. Yep. I, I, It was weird. I thought a lot of these living weapons had been reprinted moreover than just in... The a one commander set, but in reality, it is real. Uma picked up a bunch, and Mortar Pod was in Modern Horizons too. That 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 sure. was my confusion, and that, that's about it. Everything else has literally been saved for Commander, uh, and yep. I think that's something that just kind of slips under the radar. So the same's going yep. to apply for uh, Cauldra Complete, and it's Lashrith, not um, yes Scythe. Yeah, uh, Lashrith. 
uh, Bone Horde, like, those are cards that are probably going to go up over time and probably never come back if they don't see a reprint, and they are reprinted very infrequently. Yep. So, something to, to look forward to in that regard. But for the discussion on LGSs, I think that's it for this episode. Yeah, that's all I got. So for at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt, I am Reptar on Twitter. You are? At Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.